It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Well, um, <laughs> we have a, a topic today. Um, we can we can get there in just a second. But did you uh, did you guys ever get any rain? Are you still in the the horrific drought and the heat? It's kind of rumbling around. There's a thunder. There's graying and clouds, and the temperature has actually been under hundreds most of the day. Um, but it was also fairly humid, and right. um, we I think we're supposed to have had some rain last night in the Austin area, but I didn't really see any signs where I am. Um, but you know, it's it's asking to rain, and it would be nice if it you know. Just went ahead and did that. How yeah. About you? Well, we did get some rain. Uh, we got rain last week, uh, several days of it actually, which was great. But then our temperatures went down, but the humidity went up higher than it was when it was at its worst. Mm -hmm. So we still ended up with feels like temperatures around 100 degrees, even though it was only like 89 outside, but the humidity was so high. So yeah, um, hopefully though, we've got, it's kind of the same here at the moment. It's gray. Uh, the wind kind of picked up to cool down a little bit. There's some scattered thunderstorms in the area, but I don't think we're going to get any. But uh, hopefully everybody out there is going to or has already gotten some relief, a little bit of water, um, except for those of you who got so much that everything flooded. Hopefully you don't get any more for a little while. Let that kind of tame down. Um, but we're we're getting close. We're in August now for Central Texas, the southern United States. You're not out of the woods yet. You still got another month. You know, it's usually about that first week of September, second week of September that everything truly breaks. But right. for those of us who are, uh, you know, have escaped to some of the northern states or mid to northern states, um, it is it is starting to kind of tame down a little bit, which is it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. The problem with us is that we got started on the heat fairly early and it never went away. And so there's a quite a bit of a dearth in central Texas. Um, and it's kind of like one of the challenges that we're looking at as we uh, even experienced beekeepers are struggling to make sure that our bees um, have what they need. And uh, in my case, I just don't want to intervene unless I have to. And, and so that's one of the, the things I'm kind of like watching. And I still see nectar. I still see um, pollen coming in. And to me, that means I don't really necessarily need to feed them, but we're on, on emergency feeding watch. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I like how you snuck that in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so today's topic does actually kind of revolve around challenges and such. And what we're looking at today is kind of an advanced version of something that we talked about when we first started doing the beekeeper chats. We went through you know, how to get started in beekeeping, how to start your business, things to consider, some of the pitfalls of beekeeping, and some of the challenges for new beekeepers. Well, today, we're going to kind of rewind that back, or technically, I guess, really fast forward it into the future. Because, you know, what does it look like when you're five, seven, 10 years down the road, and you've been doing beekeeping for a while? 
what do your challenges look like then? What kind of things could you still possibly be facing? You know, it's always evolving and ever changing and stuff. So I thought it might be kind of an interesting perspective. You know, we talk a lot about the beginner stuff. So let's kind of flip that around and talk about, well, what does an advanced beekeeper have to worry about at times like these or as they go through with their years? And that can be the literal aspects of beekeeping. It can be beekeeping the business itself, you know, challenges as they come up and as your business evolves. So that's kind of what we're going to tackle today. And I can answer it very quickly because I I get to cheat. (laughs) You get to cheat? I get to cheat. What do you mean? Why don't I get to cheat? One of the reasons that, that I, well, so mine is, mine's become uber simplified and that's why I get to cheat. So I went from having 50 colonies down to having two colonies. So I've had a drastic reduction in colonies, which means less work, less maintenance, and less things to have to really kind of contend with from the individual beekeeping status and standpoint. But my biggest challenge has actually been the fact of still to this day, nine months later, still trying to figure out what the new situations are here what are the, what's the new flora the new fauna when are the flows you know when do they start when do they stop how much do you really need for winter things along those lines i have yet to been able to find a credible resource in my area to answer some of those questions so that's the challenge that i'm facing and that may sound very familiar especially to somebody who's just getting started beekeeping because that is one of the big challenges and that's one of the things that season four is going to go through and address is some of those very simple questions that we take for granted when you get started in beekeeping or in my situation when you relocate to a new area that is foreign to you what are some of the things you need to know for those areas? So so all of that stuff I get to address as we move forward with the fourth season. And that's why I get to cheat. Uh, <laughs> so, but from your standpoint, you had the opposite. So instead of a drastic reduction in colonies, you've had a drastic expansion and explosion yeah. in colonies. And that brings about that. a whole nother set of problems. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that. So the reason is because we're, you know, we just ask for it. It's, it's where we make the bulk of our money. It's in services and leasing colonies and maintaining people's uh, colonies for them. And so that means that right now we're managing just Les Crowder and I about 350 colonies in Central Texas, uh, scattered all over you know the south of Austin and um, the eastern area, southwest and southeast Austin, and we just. Um, have to get them get to them on a fairly regular basis granted we don't go in our bees for you know every week or every two weeks or even every three weeks we prefer uh once a month uh and then uh if it's our bees they can go even longer sometimes uh depending on what uh how established they are and what kind of needs they have or what kind of forage they're on right we have some excellent yards one of which is yours um is a staging area that's on great forage. We have another couple that are in different locations on great forage as well. Uh, and those we kind of leave alone for the most part once we've you know, uh, used them up for uh, expansion splits. And we, we have some very established colonies there that take care of themselves. Uh, but the rest of the time we go and we travel around quite a bit. So gas prices have become a little bit of an issue. <laughs> That's in true, time. actually. Yes, in time. Luckily, we're keeping most of those bees and we have um, motivated a lot of our customers to keep them on, 
horizontal top archives. So the equipment is minimized. But when we were, we had to convert a whole lot of Langstroth to that type of uh, horizontal top archives. And so before we had a lot of um, boxes and frames and all kinds of bottom boards and, and lids and all the stuff that we had to transport everywhere we were going. And quite honestly, we never had everything we needed at each of the yards we were going. Now that everything is getting um, converted to top archives and it's all the same less Crowder model. Yeah, standardization. Interchangeable. All I need is a couple of buckets of bars, uh, a few rescue bars, uh, a steak knife, and and potentially a top bar nuke uh, if I need to harvest or do a split or anything like that. And then I'm good to go. So from that standpoint, that got easier. But the amount of time when you get sucked into this as a business, it's just insane. You just, between the managing the customers, managing the hives, prepping for the next seasons, adapting to the uh, cycles of dearth of, or, or nectar flow, where you have a lot of you know, management, actually it's harder to manage during nectar flow <laughs> because you've got a lot of space management to do. Uh, Rapid so expansion to, of the bees. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. And then what happens is that you get a lot of um, organizations that want you to speak, to um, head their, you know, uh, to be the chairman, to be the director, to be all this stuff. And you, it, it's enticing. You kind of get sucked in. You want to help. You want to just get into that world. And then you realize a little bit too late <laughs> that you probably bit more than you could chew. And it's probably a better idea to just say no. So learning to say no has been a big challenge for me. Well, actually, that is... Yeah. Um, learning to say no. And something that I I struggled with this both in my non-beekeeping life and my beekeeping life for several years, false obligations mm -hmm. and holding yourself to false obligations that honestly don't benefit you. <laughs> Recognizing, no, learning to recognize what's what matters and what's important and what really you don't have to do right. or you don't have to put yourself into. Yeah. That's, that's a big learning. Yeah. Now. So when, for everybody listening, when, when Natalie talks about managing nearly 300 plus colonies and it's just two people doing it to kind of put that into perspective. So a couple of different little things here, one navigation down there in that area, if you're traveling East and West on the map, you're kind of okay. If you mm -hmm. try to go North and South, especially if uh you start getting into the Austin area, a five mile drive can seriously take you 40 to 45 minutes. So when you're adding time onto that concept of like, yeah, she may go east or west and or she may even be able to take the back road south and go 20 miles and do it in about 30 minutes. But if you hit certain areas of that region, five miles can take you way longer than a 20 mile drive. So the time aspect of that is in there. So for me, when I used to be doing like full bore, full time everything, when we were doing the removals at the peak of the season, you had one removal a day, minimum seven days a week. So my day looked like I would get up, I would go straight to the job site. I'd have to have everything loaded up that I needed for that job, go to the job site, do the removal. Who knows how long that could take? If it was an easy one, there may be three or four more stacked onto that day. 
Once you got done, all of those bees had to go to my removal out yard. Mm -hmm. Once I had them there, I had to get them situated, get them put into their either temporary or full-size colonies, make sure that everything was good, make sure that I actually opened the damn thing because I've had instances where I forgot to open entrances, um, get them all out there, get them situated. And then I would travel about seven miles back down the road to the main apiary, and I would have to stop and check at least 10 colonies so that mm-hmm. by the end of the week, and by checking, I don't necessarily mean like a full inspection, but I needed to check how's the weight, do they need food, do they need more space, things like that, just quick inspections. But you'd have to touch a minimum of five of those every night. And by this point, the sun is setting. Mm-hmm. And all, it's basically, you go home at dark, you go to bed, you wake back up as the sun's oh, coming up, it. and you start yeah. and repeat. And that's just so that the end of the week, I will have at least put my eyes on every single one of my colonies to know kind of where they're at, make sure there wasn't any signs of anything that needed an intervention, things like that. That's just 50 colonies. Mm -hmm. So, and that's one person in 50 colonies. You guys are doing more like 125 to 150 each. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that kind of uh, works with horizontal tabar beekeeping. And it also works because the, the, the inspections once they're fairly established, all you're looking for is food. Okay. A little brood. Okay. We're done. We're closing back. It takes us five minutes. So from that standpoint, it's fine, but also it's just kind of, um, we don't go as often necessarily, right. We're putting in them on the cycle where they're three to four weeks. Yeah. And, um, so, so that helps as well. Otherwise I don't know how we could do it. Right. Well, and there's also the same thing that again, Every new beekeeper, if you haven't experienced this, you will soon enough. But regardless how long you've been doing beekeeping, there's always the whole concept of the best laid plans and then they get thrown out the window. So (laughs) I'm just going to take a five minute trip and I'm going to run out to the apiary real quick. I promise I will be right back. I'm going to run out there and I just got to set down this one hive. And instead, I'm pulling up to the gate. And before I even get out to open the gate, I'm looking and I see a giant swarm hanging from the tree or I can see signs of something that doesn't look right. As I'm pulling into the apiary, the bees are pinging the truck or something. And you're like, what? And so then you get out and you got to figure that out. And pretty soon you've been out there for two hours trying to fix or prevent or catch or whatever. And you haven't done the thing you went out there to do. (laughs) So there's always that. That always happens. It doesn't matter how experienced you are, how long you've been doing it. Mother yeah. Nature will always throw a wrench in the gears if she can. <laughs> well, and that brings up a good point. Is like um, you can have the best plan of plans, uh, and and it's okay to kind of scale it back. You don't have to do if it's a period of dearth or there's robbing season or there's not the right time for you to open the hives, and you can see. You didn't expect it to be that way, but when you show up, it's best that you keep those hives more closed. You need to be able to adapt and learning to adapt to the existing conditions, understanding at the same time what's happening around you, uh, those exogenous factors we were talking about (laughs) last time, right? Those outside factors um, that inform, you know, kind of what you should or shouldn't do when you're going into your hives. And and that's also going to tell you how um, your colony is behaving and why it's behaving that way. That's probably also... It's, it, it is a challenge, but also it's something that um, becomes easier at the same time with experience, but it's never completely easy. You're oh. always thinking, it's always playing chess. You're always trying to keep 20,000 factors in your mind to know what is going on and what you should or should not be doing, because right. very often the lack of intervention is what's best for the bees. Right? Yeah. And, and oftentimes 
it solves a lot of other unintended consequences and problems down the road too if you don't meddle too much <laughs> with right, what's right. going on. So those are those are some very very straightforward things that are going to come up. Now, I know that you you touched on this briefly about the other organizations. So that can be everything as big as like some of the state associations, being a director on the board. Like at one point, I was uh, I was on the board for Zoker Botanical Gardens and the Austin Area Garden Council. I was helping to get Austin set up as a bee-friendly city. Um, I was going through, I was a, the vice president of the Travis County Beekeepers, and I was a, on the board of directors for the Texas State Beekeepers, all at the same time while still doing all of my other stuff. So that pulls into it. But one of the other things that happens a lot, and we always kind of start off doing this and it's fun, but then it becomes overwhelming, is all of the other non-beekeeping related associations that wants you to come and speak or want somebody to come or present on National Bee Day or National Honey Bee Awareness Day. You know, like you've got the one in May, you've got the or one Sunday. in uh, in August, you've got all the STEM classes that come up all the time. And then you've got things like sometimes I've had I've been asked to come out and speak on Arbor Day. And I've mm -hmm. asked to be uh, out and speaking on Earth Day, you know, like all of these big events, all of a sudden people are clamoring around. I actually got invited to speak to a I, I want to say they're national. I don't think they're global, but a national company wants me to do a presentation for them on the 19th of August because the 20th is National Honeybee Awareness Day. Oh, and, you know, so that, that it's still it's still out there. It still happens. But that's one of the things at first. You get into that and like uh, for us, for instance, if you're doing the master beekeeper program, that's one of the ways that you can earn your public service credits is to go out and speak to the public about bees. Right. So at first you're like, yes, yes, give them all to me. And then pretty soon word starts spreading. And you again, you have to learn when to say no, how to prioritize your time. <laughs> yeah. And because you end up you need like 10 credits or 15 credits and now you have like 25, 30 credits. And yeah. it's just like, well, that's fun and you love doing it. But you have to prioritize absolutely your bee time and your business time. Now, if you're a backyard beekeeper and you're not doing this for a living, the constraints are not the same. But a lot of backyard beekeepers are going through the master beekeeping program and they have uh, the opposite challenge is to find those credits. True. Uh, and then just kind of find the opportunities to learn uh, more and get more in depth. So when you have a whole lot of colonies, the best part of it is that you get to see a whole lot about what the bees are doing. And That's you true. get a lot more experienced about, you know, the nature of the bees and you get more in tune with them. So that's, you know, challenging, but at the same time rewarding. And the biggest challenge, I think, um, when, I mean, I don't know, I'm looking at you and you have two colonies and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, with everything else going on right now in my life right, and right, right. all the stuff that we're doing, two colonies is perfect. Yeah, you know, like... True. I, I I had the opportunity. I could have went ahead and acquired more whenever I finally got a hold of these two. Um, I did find some other sources where I could do that. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? Let's just do the two. For now. We, you know, we've, we've done that whole rapid right. expansion when I first right. started and one turned into two and two turned into 13 and that turned into 25. And yeah. so 
this time around, I'm I'm still on the DL. I'm still walking around pretending like I don't know anything. And you know, people people <laughs> come up and yeah, exactly. People come up and they're like, Oh, that's so awesome. What do you do? You know, blah, blah, blah. And every once in a while, I will say something to somebody. Um, so there there is a couple of people here in town. I'm notorious for always wearing, you know, I've got my hive jive hat on right now. Right. Um, and oddly enough, I never put it together until just a couple of weeks ago, but there is a there's a little place here in town that does like soups and sandwiches and stuff. And every single time it, I don't know why. And I, I told the guy once, finally, I was like, I swear I own more clothing that is not <laughs> just be related or, or specifically my podcast, because every time I went in there, I had on some sort of hive jive shirt, like one of the various iterations of hive jive shirts. And I, when I first went in, he saw the the Australia one, you know, we're big down under. And he was like, what is that? That's so cool. Is that a podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know. So when I told him about it at first, I just told him about the podcast. I didn't say it was my podcast. <laughs> the next time I went in, I was wearing another shirt. And he goes, hey, you had on a shirt for the podcast last time. You must really like it. And I was like, well, technically, I'm the host. I was like, I, so it's mine. And he's like, oh. And then again and again and again, every time I went in. So today... I have on a Wella, it's a Wella Naturals shirt, which technically has a B on the back, but it is not a Hive Jive shirt. And I walked in there and he goes, you almost made it. You almost managed to come in here without some sort of paraphernalia on. And I was like, dude, my shirt's not a Hive Jive shirt. And he goes, but your hat is. And well, I was like, damn it. <laughs> okay, so I can totally relate because that's the hard part these days is to find an outfit that's not beekeeping related. I know. Like I'm if going to the not, farm with my boots. Yeah, if it's not a hive jive related shirt, then it's a wicked bee shirt. And if it's not that, it is some goofy bee thing I've been given. But I swear there are clothes in my closet that are not bee related. <laughs> well, I'm not about going out uh, for a quick dinner after your full day and you're in there with your smoke smelling outfit, dirt, <laughs> you know, laden, you know, outfit, your big boots, your 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 hands are dirty, your hair is disheveled and sticking straight out and you don't care anymore. No, um, you're over it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a big challenge is looking presentable these days. <laughs> there you go that's, that's true um, especially when it's hot and humid and you've got a lot of them to do and your family's like well yes. but we really want to do this mom come out and do this honey yeah. we gotta go you know and you're like ah and you're so you well, show up and you're just over it you're like Look, this is how i am <laughs> Yeah, and here's another challenge: is not boring your family or friends with all your beekeeping stories and finding <laughs> other topics of discussions. <laughs> that's a that's a fun one, actually. But that is true. I have been in situations before where somebody says, "Oh my God, that's fascinating! Like, tell me about that." And I, and I'll hesitate. I'll be like, "Are you sure?" Because <laughs> you're literally about to open a door that's really hard to close. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's hard to, to, to kind of get out of it. Once you get sucked in that, I would caution everybody as you go, it's highly addictive and it's hard to refrain from getting more bees. And, and that's what I tell people. I'm sorry, I'm a bee hoarder. It's yeah. just kind of like, you know. Well, so a challenge too, and it's still a challenge to me to this day. And that's one of the reasons that, that I am keeping it on the DL as long as I can. But the one of the challenges is the simple fact that once somebody does know that's what you do, 
then they suddenly start coming to you for lots of different things. It could just be they want to they want to talk and want to ask questions. It could be that, oh, we found bees. It could be that, oh, there's bees that need removed or so-and-so has bees. Or then they start giving your name to other people for bee-related things. You know, oh, this guy might have honey or this might have that, you know. And, and so pretty soon, if you're the only beekeeper in a small town, everybody in that town is eventually going to know it. And now your time is preoccupied with all of the needs and demands of the town, which again, goes back to the learning to prioritize and when to say no. And, you know, having boundaries, setting standards and, and being firm with that is okay. It's, it's better for yourself than it is to worry about the other people. (laughs) Well, and I mean, it it is hard to say no. And, And when you're a beekeeper, everybody expects you to have honey, for example. Right. So I got myself into that whole, um, oh, well, I, you know, I'm, everybody's asking me for honey. I'm going to have to produce some honey. I'm going to have to do all the labels and all that stuff. And I'm going to just have to sell my honey. And I find out that first of all, then I don't have enough for myself. I don't want to over harvest my bees either. And it's much more work than I want to do for the incoming springing me. So, so you have to kind of like recognize where, what you need, what you want to do. What is your beekeeping for? Is it for you? Is it for money making? Is it for others? Is it just for the bees? Right. Well, and that may change and evolve too, as you go, because I started off, I just wanted the one colony in my backyard. Mm-hmm. That went out the window in a heartbeat. And it was not my idea. That is started off with the association saying, oh, but you need at least two. And then somebody else hijacking me to come and help with removals and then shoving their entire business off onto me. It was like, here you go. And so it just like, it all kind of snowballed out of control. But at the same time, that was my bread and butter. So doing the removals and doing that backbreaking work that paid for everything. And that's what then allowed this other stuff, but it was a small time period. And we talked about this and like that, the challenges of beekeeping kind of thing where we did at the very beginning was When you first get started on stuff, you may be focused on this or that, but if it is going to be a full-time job, you have to be diversified and you've got to learn how to plug in things because removal season is only, depending on where you live, April through August or September. It may be shorter than that. It could be May through August, you know, or it could be longer than that. It depends on how far south or how far north you are. But once that time's up, then what? Well, you've got speaking engagements. You may be selling honey. You may be mm-hmm. doing other high products of the hive, you know, things like that. So for me, coming up here, only having two colonies, having different requirements and restrictions for bee removals in this area, that's actually, it's it's kind of been a blessing in disguise because I, one, haven't told anybody. I haven't put anything out there. I'm not advertising the business aspects or anything like that. Every once in a while, I'll run across somebody, but it's allowed me to actually take a step back and re reevaluate and reprioritize, you know, like bee removals. Okay. So I'm not old, but I'm not young anymore either. Like I, I'm getting to that point where crawling under a house or crawling up in an attic when it's a hundred so degrees and yeah. a triple layer suit trying to do a removal, it sucks. And you're, you get up the next morning feeling like you got hit by a truck. So not doing that frees up more time for other stuff. And actually, it's a little, a little bit more enjoyable. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing. You get to say no. You get to uh, manage your time better, and you you enjoy yourself more. Now, there's another challenge as we get more experience that's really um, delicate and and tough for me is that you are wanting to help other people, 
and you're wanting to share what you've learned over sweat and, and hard work and years and thousands of colonies that you've visited. And you find there's a whole lot of really poor advice out there. There's not really a clear picture of what people are doing and everybody's advising based on their own perspective, which could be commercial to backyard, which could be backyard to commercial. Sometimes it's literally just hearsay too. Well, so-and-so told me. And a lot of bad advice and a lot of Facebook experts and Facebook (laughs) scientists and and just, you know, self-proclaimed scientists and all kinds of things that are happening. And it's hard to go through and and just convince people that, you know, there's things that they don't need to be doing or there's things that they might want to be doing based on how their perception of their beekeeping experience is. But it's kind of hard for me to watch all the masses the the lot of the beekeepers following advice that I think is going to be hurting their colonies in the end right and, and it's really hard. it's that's a tough decision and challenge too because I I fall prey to that where I avoid social media in fact I avoid it to the point where I should be posting things for the hive jive and for wicked bee way more often than I am but I just don't want to even get on there And then if you do, for whatever reason, inevitably something's going to pop up or you just happen to start scrolling and you see somebody's comment and it triggers something and you're like, oh man, like, do I let that go? Or do I, do I correct them? You know, like, how do I do this? And sometimes, I mean, you, there are choices. I once in a blue moon, I will actually, there'll be a random comment from the hive jive on something out there where Mm -hmm. I will clarify or say, well, actually, you know, um, But nine times out of 10, if I finally get to the point where I deem that there is something that needs to be said, I will just personally message that individual. And then it's not in all of that chat. But at the same time, it's doing a disservice to other people that could have read it and been like, oh, but at the same time, it's taking away all the ammunition for the people that literally just want to argue and fight for the sake of arguing and fighting. Mm-hmm. And not because they're right or they even know what they're talking about. Not, not getting sucked in is tough. It's just hard. Uh, and 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 then you have sometimes the um, reaction of, well, I own a hundred hives. I own. I'm working. You know, fifty. And it's all of a sudden th- th- that's being pushed forward as a well. What do you know, right? Right. Kind of a thing. It's like, and then anything you say. It's like, well, we can agree to disagree. I was like, that's fine, but that's not really, <laughs> really the point uh, because well, there are things that, you know. There's also a difference between starting with a lower number of hives, learning, advancing, and growing with your knowledge and with the amount of colonies versus I started with 100 hives. Mm-hmm. So just because you have 100 hives you may have just bought a hundred packages this spring and you've only been a beekeeper for three months. And that doesn't mean, you know, shit. <laughs> it just means you got money and you bought a bunch of hives all at once. <laughs> yep. And, and so, but then everybody's experience is different, but I, I agree with you. The amount of time and the number of colonies you've been going through as well as the types of colonies that you've gone through also helps you um, inform your knowledge of the bees. If you've done removals, informs if you if you understand the bees a little bit more i mean that breadth of expertise um informs a a whole lot of uh, the whole picture that you have of the bees and and so it's always disheartening to me that to hear people 
um, saying, well, you should listen to master beekeepers. I mean, you have advice like that out there that's, you know, aiming to, to just, you know, confuse the what, I mean, I don't know. It's a lot of confusion. Well, and for me, it's hard to watch it and not say anything. Right. Right. And that, that's exactly true too. So part of the thing on like a master beekeeper program, there's a, there's a lot of different programs out there. There's some that can be done exclusively online. There's some that can be kind of a hybrid and others that you have to physically be there for. And Texas's is kind of a hybridization of Georgia and Florida and then some creative stuff in there for Texas. So mm -hmm. one of the things about it, though, is that it forces you to go a year and a day before you do your next one. And the whole point of that is because it's not just, OK, let me see what I can memorize. Let me take a test. It's working it. It's experiencing it. It's it's trying to understand it. Not necessarily saying that's the best or the worst, no. but definitely saying there are others out there you can do quicker and mm -hmm. you can get a certification or get a title, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you put in the real world effort and experience. It just right. means that you have the education and there's a big difference between education and experience. Absolutely. And you got to... Yeah, you've got to you've got to be able to marry those two things together because you can have people out there. It doesn't matter what field they're in. They've never went to school for it at a day in their life. And they are amazing at it because they've got all the real world experience yeah. and mm -hmm. vice versa. You've got people that have never actually done the job, but they've got the education for it. So they right, can right. sit down and say, say certified on a piece of paper. I've done this. And, you know, they each have their merits, but at the same time, the best world scenario is both having of those both. married together. Well, and that's convincing people that having a bit of both is the best case scenario um, that, you know, you cannot reinvent or understand the nature of the bees based solely on what you're looking at, because there's so much research that's going to show you uh, if that was the case, people, you know, 50 years ago would know more than we do if they had more time in their bees. And yeah. that's not the case, right? So both um, matter. And I agree with you 100%. You, you know, the public service credits are fantastic. They help the community. They they help the, the outreach that we do and the understanding of the bees. But if that's all we've got, and the textbooks are all we've got, that's not going to be enough either. You don't know the bees until you get into there. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's true. And we we actually have uh, a few listeners, uh, a couple actually that I believe are now Patreon members too. So hello, congrats. <laughs> yeah. um, but they've reached out a few times in regards to South or Southern Central Texas area, having issues with bees, and they're just getting started. They're in their first year. And at one point in one of the conversations, they had responded and said, well, our local master beekeeper advised us to do XYZ. Which only if you had actually been there and had all of the pieces of information, would that possibly have been an okay scenario mm -hmm. to do? Um, they had messaged me multiple times about it. They've sent videos, they sent photos. And even still, I didn't even necessarily have all the information. And so when they were like, well, this is going on and this is going on and what do we do? And there's all this stuff. You only know what you've got to go on and, and you got to ask some of those probing questions and stuff. And then I found Absolutely. out after the fact that, oh, well, this other person had advised us to reduce this down and reduce that down and to do all that. And we just did that this morning. And I'm like, oh, well, I mean, that's a whole different scenario, because if you just did all these things, you've messed up the flight patterns, you've congested the entrance, you know, like you've caused a kind of a 
traffic jam of sorts. Um, but it's it's knowing the whole scenario. And I I came to a different conclusion. That's that's really the whole point of this. Based on what I was seeing in the videos and based on the answers I was getting to the questions, I did not come to the exact same answer that who their local master beekeeper was. And I was very tempted to ask, especially since how it was in Texas, who that individual was. But I also chose it didn't matter. I didn't need to know. <laughs> like that was another one of those. I don't need to get involved. It's fine. I'm not going to contradict. I'm just going to give you my opinion and advice based on the information that you've given me and you can choose what to do with that. <laughs> well, and, and to your point, one of the biggest challenges is to, when you become more experienced is the Dunning-Kruger effect has, um, you know, an impact on both sides of the curve. When you're not experienced enough, you're going to think that, or when you have a couple, three years of experience, you're going to think that you know a lot more and um, that you're the expert at beekeeping, which no, none of us are because it's it's a huge learning curve. And then when you're on the other side of the curve and you've had you know years and thousands of highs and you've got the education and you've really pushed your craft, uh, you assume very often that people are speaking the same language that you are. And so it's super important to remember, force yourself to ask those questions and really try to get that history, get the the actual circumstances because we always assume, we have those answers. We've seen so many things and then just kind of realizing, well, every colony is different. Every microclimate is different. Every uh, stock, every uh, genetics is different. There's so many factors that come into play that we cannot assume we can project an answer and especially not give out recipes or instructions on how to do things because there's so many things that come into play, including the out, outer, you know, environment, environmental factors uh, for how long you're going to feed, if you do need to feed, if it's an established or non-established, so many things. Right. And we can't assume we know it's, what it's we're talking about. Kind of like computer programming in a way. Garbage in equals garbage out. That's exactly So right. the your answer, especially, well, first off, your answer is going to depend on who you're talking to and their level of experience. That's number one. So you're you're going to get a wide variety of answers from that. But number two is going to be your answer is only going to be as good and accurate as the information you provided and the details you provided in your question. And in this scenario, one, one tiny little detail completely can radically change yeah. the entire outcome and the entire answer from something that could have been a concern to, oh, well, that makes total sense and there's nothing to worry about at all. You know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, so that it's, it's all, you gotta be very mindful of that on both sides of the equation because I have found myself multiple times, especially if you're in a rush, looking at something, reading the information that's there and then not asking follow-up questions. And you should right. always ask the follow-up questions before you give a, a response. But I'll say, well, you know, just from this right here, I would guess it looks like this. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, well, but we did. And I'm like, oh, well, crap, you know? Yeah, well, if that's the case, then I should have asked more questions. And then I will stop and go back and be like, all right, so let's do what we should have done the first time. What about this? What about that? Let's clarify this, you know? So- that, that can a, be a challenge. <laughs> exactly. And linked to that directly, I believe, is being able to, to be uh, nimble. Basically, what we do when we are addressing, when we are inspecting and we're doing anything in beekeeping in the hives, is we're playing chess. We've got a lot of different parameters and we 
I think that the hardest part for me, but also the most rewarding part of this is to learn to be more flexible in my thought patterns and, and just kind of take a step back and look at my apiary and see what I've got at my disposal to intervene because each colony is not in a vacuum. You have other options than trying to fix it in that little um, uh, just closed confined environment. You have other options when you have more colonies and there's so many ways to solve an issue. You can give some fresh brood, you can boost with nurse bees, you can combine, you can do all kinds of things. And it doesn't have to come from the next colony next over. It could come from multiple colonies. And I learned that from my greatest here. I stand on the shoulders of giants. Okay. I don't, I know nothing. I've just learned it from the best. And Les Crowder came up, well, maybe not came up, but has showed us and really taught us how to do uh, multiple origin splits, multiple origin, you know, uh, boosting, multiple origin, anything. And I just love that because it's just forces you to take a step back and not think in binary terms. It's hard to do. It's a challenge initially, but it's great mental exercise and it really improves your beekeeping. And that's it works for true. people of all expertise, but it's something that's hard to learn at first yeah. when we think in simple terms. Yes. And does definitely require you having at least three, if not more colonies. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. So that is a limitation for other people. If you only have one or two, Mm-hmm. It's a 50-50 shot no matter what. If you've got more than that, well, now you can take one from here or two from there, you know, and then the more you have, the more you can intersperse yes. that and, and the less impact it has overall on all the colonies, but the greater reward it has for the colony you're trying to assist. So, Right. And and I think that it's important to, to remember that um, another challenge in any way for me is to not keep repeating the same beekeeping myths. And the things that the old timers have been saying forever, some of which are very pertinent, some of which are just, why are we doing it this way? Why can't we question the status quo? Why do we have to keep bees in a square box? We don't. We don't have to feed them. We don't have to do all kinds of things. And you hear a lot of things. And so sorting through all that and not being the one repeating necessarily all the beekeeping myths um, is something that I find challenging, but also rewarding. Very much so indeed. So see, there you go, guys. It yep. you know, it doesn't matter if you're day one or if you're day 701 or if you're day 12 year, like whatever. Much. It's yeah. all the same concept. Mm-hmm. The challenges may change, the situations may change, but the skills and the mindset and the tools at your disposal that you acquire and develop over those years, those are always the same. But learning to be flexible and learning yes. to Be able to think outside that box, exactly. Opening up your mind and be adaptive. Um, Ingenuity is a beautiful thing. So definitely keep that in mind. Don't get frustrated. I mean, it's okay to have a moment, stop, take a breath, let it all out, and then dive back in. We all have good days. We all have bad days. But even if you've been doing it for a long time, you're still going to have challenges and roadblocks. It's all about how you view them and how you approach them to solve them. Being adaptive, just like the bees, having more tools in our pockets, more knowledge and more experience is going to help you um, just kind of don't hesitate to play with different types of hives, different techniques, um, just different sizes of apiaries, different areas. If you can, um, all that's going to enrich your knowledge and make you a better beekeeper. 
That's right. There you go. Couldn't have said it better myself. So <laughs> since how we've reached that point, then we'll just go ahead and wrap this up because I think we're good. So thank, thank you, you again are. for tuning in. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you again next week. And as always, until then, be good. And be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees. <laughs>